Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to our third and final part of our current event and weekly Bible study for April 4th, 2010. And the next article is Feds Prepare to Use Anarchists to Provide Tea Party Violence. And I'm bringing this up because this may be a card that gets played in the very near future, and I want you to be prepared if this does happen. Uh, Given the past history of how the so-called anarchist groups are so easily infiltrated and provocateured by the authorities to commit meaningless acts of violence that will only serve to discredit political causes, we should be alarmed by the possibility that the anarchist plans to, quote, crash the tea parties that are coming up. We'll present the perfect opportunity for the establishment to create a flashpoint with which to demonize constitutionalists as unruly extremists. Now, here's what I always see whenever we have, um, okay, G20... G8, whatever, these types of UN type meetings, whenever it's particularly in a city setting, you always have these these anarchists show up to totally discredit anything legitimate going on regarding a protest. People that legitimately want to protest evil. The anarchists show up and they always get to the forefront of everything and they got the black, you know, handkerchiefs over their face and, or, you know, and... and the, they're all covered up, and they throw things, and they destroy things, and they generally act like a bunch of idiots. They are there to totally discredit the movement, any movement that's there, because everybody gets lumped in with them. It's like when somebody says, oh, you Christians are all the same. You slaughtered 50 million people during the Inquisition. No, I didn't. I was never associated with the Catholic Church. Catholics are not Christians. Catholics are the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. Catholicism is nothing more than repackaged paganism. But the people that hate any form of Christianity love to lump all Christians, whether they're true Bible-believing Christians and whoever else, together, and say, you did this. When the reality was the Catholic Church were the ones targeting born-again Bible-believing Christians for martyrdom and execution. And yet, we get lumped in conveniently with the Catholics, even though Bible-believing Christians were the chief target. It's just like the anarchists. It's exactly what they do. And they're there by design. According to the leaning anarchist website, InfoShop News, quote, on April 15th, thousands of right-wingers will attend rallies... Now, this is from the Anarchist website. Thousands of right-wingers will attend rallies in cities, towns across the United States. The organizers of this nationwide day of protest call it a Tea Party. Tea Party movement that emerged only a year ago as a coalition of conservatives. And a lot of, a lot of the reason this happened with the Tea Party is because of the... more the conservative part of the voter base that is so incredibly uh, worried and fed up in, with Obama from the very inception of his presidency. It had a lot to do with the formation of this group. Okay. Anyway, the Tea Party movement that emerged only a year ago is a coalition of conservatives, anti-Semites, and this is off their website, fascists, libertarians, racists, constitutionalists, militiamen, gun freaks, homophobes, Ron Paul supporters, and Alex Jones conspiracy types and American flag wavers. In one paragraph, the so-called anarchists have regurgitated wholesale the exact same rhetoric that the corporate-owned media, their supposed adversaries, have been spewing ceaselessly for months on end. So now we've got the anarchists saying the same thing 
the corporately owned media is saying, then anyone who opposes big government, which is what anarchists are supposed to do, is a racist and an extremist. That's what anarchy is. No government. We, we're going to oppose all government. Well, now that's all changed, evidently. And, and they're doing... They're, it's like they're on the same side as the corporate-owned media. Anyone who opposes big government is a racist and extremist now, according to this anarchist site. The anarchist's primary reason for wanting to crash Tea Party demonstrations is because, quote, if the Tea Party movement takes over this country, they will really hurt poor people by getting rid of social programs like food stamps, unemployment benefits, disability benefits, student aid, free health care. So these are people that want everything, obviously, handed to them on a silver platter. They want Big Brother, I guess. So they've totally changed their, their stance, even though... I don't believe that's what anything what the Tea Party movement has to do with. They're just they're just a tool of Satan is all they are. Now I'm not saying the Tea Party movement's perfect either, okay? But this anarchist stuff, I've I've sat back and watched how they operate for a number of years, and I just thought it was appropriate to say something about this movement. Um now this is these these stances that they're taking by getting rid of social programs and unemployment benefits and free health care and all this other stuff is completely at odds with traditional anarchist political doctrine of extremely limited or no government whatsoever. As Kurt Nemo points out, these people are not anarchists, they are statists. Teenage socialist punks who like to call themselves, quote, workers, but a good portion of whom have probably never worked a day in their life. They make it for perfect puppets through which the establishment can manipulate to demonize its real political adversaries. This is fruit of the public schooling system in America. This is fruit of of parents not disciplining their kids. Children ruling over the parents. The woman ruling over the husband. Which is literally, if you look in the Bible, when you have that scenario... It's a sign of God's judgment when the children rule over the parents and the women rule over the husband and the husband walks around in this gelded-like state following the wife and doing whatever she says and then the children rule over them. It's sickening. It's all backwards. It's all from Satan. He wants to destroy the family. He knows if he can destroy the family, then the foundation of America crumbles. And, you know, he's done a wonderful job. I'm talking from a biblical standpoint here. Uh, everything's out of order in America. And I'm not saying husbands should go around and you know rule over their wives with a rod of iron or anything like that. But everything's backwards in the way things are set up. And if, even if you, you turn on uh, any of these shows on TV, they always portray the men as either um, total, like, gelded, um, you know, they don't, you know, they, they, no backbone whatsoever at all. You know, women ruling over them, or they portray the men as total, like, sex fiend perverts that are just out there to get what they want. So you've got the bad boy that, you know, a lot of the women want and, and who would never get married or never submit. And then you've got the husbands who marry their wives and are totally ruled over by the wives and their children. That's how it's portrayed in Hollywood and in a lot of other places. That's politically correct now and acceptable to have that type of model. And that's what they want men to think is normal. 
Then they produce, they put all these gender bending chemicals into different things. These plastic bottles have a lot of these estrogen producing xenoestrogens that leach from the uh, plastic bottles in, into the um, uh, whatever you you have, whether it's bottled water or whatever. There's all kind of these estrogen gender bending chemicals in the foods and in the waters and a lot of different things that we're being exposed to. So it actually, literally, from a hormonal standpoint, feminizes the men. Literally. What it does is it makes their estrogen levels go up, which is a primarily dominant female hormone, and their testosterone levels go down. It's probably one of the reasons they've got all these commercials on for, like, all these stinking things that, to, to help men with, you know, what you know what. They're all over the, the uh, internet and the TV. I mean, they're, they're, they're everywhere. It's ridiculous. Well, when you're, when you're totally messing up the hormonal system of a male, that's going to be a byproduct. And again, this is why a lot of times you'll hear me emphasize nutritional things, because we're body, soul, and spirit. If the devil can destroy our body, or greatly manipulate it through, you know, toxic chemicals that we're being exposed to, manipulating hormones, and then all the toxicity that builds up in our body, which further messes up not only male but female hormonal systems, well, then it's going to affect our behavior. It has to. There's no other choice. It's just one other way that we can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. So, if we go further, um, these... These anarchists make for perfect puppets through which the establishment can manipulate manipulate to demonize its real political adversaries. Apparently the bizarre world of corporate media-dominated political propaganda has infected the anarchists, who now sound like Democrats. Once upon a time, anarchism was a political philosophy that stood in opposition to the government. The term anarchism derives from the Greek anarchos, meaning without rulers. But apparently the InfoShop strain of anarchist has deviated from the original definition. They now appear to be indistinguishable from the state-loving progressives. As we have constantly warned, the latter half of April represents the most dangerous time period for when we can expect violence to be staged or provocateured, which will be instantly blamed on the Tea Partiers, Libertarians, Constitutionalists, and Bible Believers. I'm gonna th- I threw that part in. Because anybody that's of a conservative nature, if they can send these people in, well, and it's just like this militia thing that's going on. Now, I haven't checked into the whole militia thing, but supposedly this Christian militia, you know, that they're infiltrating them and finding, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to do this or this, this or that against the government. And again, they're br- blaming it on Bible-believing, lumping all of Bible-believing Christians into a particular scenario to demonize them, to try to demonize us. Uh, So anyway, just wanted to kind of give you a little warning about that, because that's a possible scenario that could be going down. Again, to pray about these things. Next article, Obama just got his private army. Nancy Mathias, American daughter, this is who wrote it, uh, March 27th of this year. Remember when Obama said he wanted a national security force? Not the National Guard, but a civilian one. I have reported on this sometimes past. I haven't said anything about it later, lately. Um, but this civilian force, one that has not sworn to uphold the Constitution. 
On July 2, 2008, in a speech in Colorado Springs, Barack Obama called for a police state. Now, Obama has actually officially just got his private army. And no one seems to have noticed. It's buried in the Senate revisions of the new health care bill. One of the many things. It's um, subtitle C. I'm reading from this. Subtitle C, increasing the supply of the health care workforce. Section 5210, establishing a ready reserve corps. Um, and then it goes on to say, see the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, page 1312. And I will have this on PDF so you can go reference this. Section 203 of the Public Health Care Service Act is amended to read as follows. Commission Corps and Ready Reserve Corps. Establishment. In general, here shall be in the service of a Commission Regular Corps and Ready Reserve Corps for the service in the time of national emergency. Now again, national emergency. H5N1, supposed pandemic, martial law due to civil unrest, National na- uh, natural disaster, earthquake, false flag nuclear event, false flag terrorist event, or even if it's real. I mean, even if it was like really real that we got attacked from, you know, a terrorist organization. Um, this is when this ready reserve corps could be time could be um, uh, enacted, I guess, or, or brought to. Uh, brought to power. Let's see here. The, I'm reading, and again, this isn't easy to read in regard to a report because it's very choppy. It's, it's this bill. Uh, the third point, it says, Commission officers of the Ready Reserve Corps shall be appointed by the President, Obama, and Commission officers of the Regular Corps shall be appointed by the President with the advice and the consent of the Senate. So evidently, he's going to have everything to, to do with this. Uh, purpose and use of Ready Reserve. Ready Reserve, of course, shall participate in routine training to meet the general specific needs of the Commission Corps and also be available and ready for involuntary calls to active duty during national emergencies and public health crises, similar to the ununiformed service reserve personnel. So anyway, I gave you the link here. You can go and you can explore that a lot further. I just wanted to touch base with that because I think it's very important. Um, This is a letter I had received um, from a listener. And she asked, it's regarding this guy up on YouTube called Forerunner, a.k.a. Christopher Hudson. Okay, He doesn't go by that name unless you really research it a little bit more. But it's Forerunner. And um, she says, here, here are the links to the videos he put up on YouTube regarding this series he did on called Lucifer Returns. They cover the teaching you did a while back and provide confirmation of what you did. I think this had something to do with Maitreya. It was a four-part series. And I, was, I watched this, and I got to the third part, and, or the fourth video, and here's what I wrote back to her. I said, I was very impressed with this guy until the fourth video. I mean, this guy's polished. He's a scripture-quoting machine. And he's very, very, um, very, very dogmatic and and, uh, confident in the way that he presents his material. It's impressive. I I admit it, you know. And um, I told her, I said, I was very impressed with this guy until the fourth video, where he drops his satanic doctrine bombshell. He is a hardcore Seventh-day Adventist. 
The man, this man is going to take many to hell as he is totally keen on Sabbath versus Sunday issue as being the main end times deception and essentially the main salvation issue. Now this is very common. Extremely common. You know, this becomes the main thing they focus on. Sabbath versus Sunday. And when they force us to worship on Sunday, then, you know, to the hardcore Seventh-day Adventists, they believe in and teach that Sunday worship is actually equivalent to taking the mark of the beast. Do your research. You'll find it. They believe that. They believe that everything keys around that. He even recommends and sells a book on his website called The National Sunday Law, written by SDA heretic Jan Marcusen. Marcusen is an American. I'm, I'm reading from who Marcusen is. This is a book that this forerunner guy sells on his website. He's got a whole website. It's really weird because the website, you can only buy stuff. There's not really any news. The news he puts is up on YouTube. And he's got over 100 videos, but the stuff on his website is pretty much just all stuff he sells. He's trying to indoctrinate you into... I mean, he had all these videos. Very, very good. I pretty much agree with everything he said. And then he got to the fourth video... And it's all about, all of a sudden, Sabbath versus Sunday. And that's the main issue. And that's taking, essentially, the mark of the beast and this and that. All these totally unbiblical things. Well, he's a cult member and he's brainwashing you into thinking that this cult is the only way to truth. This is why I'm very, uh, you know, you've got to be really careful uh, anymore who you endorse. And I know I've made some bonehead moves with people that I wasn't sure of their of their doctrine. And that's why I tell people now, I say a lot, what we're doing is we're gleaning. I could literally play his first three videos and be in agreement with what we're, with, with everything we were pretty much talking about today. But I don't want to point anybody his way because if they start believing this guy, and I've had a lot of people email me about him, then, you know, he's going to lead you to hell if he can. It's another gospel what they're presenting. It's another gospel. And the Bible says anyone, if, even if it be an angel in heaven that presents another gospel, let him be accursed. That's what the Bible says in the New Testament. Mark, this book that he sells, um, National Sunday Law by Jan Marcusen. Marcusen is an American, a fifth generation Seventh-day Adventist, and was an ordained minister in 1982. He's fifth generation, okay? He is the author of several books, including Two Months to Live, which he relates the real-life stories of people who have overcome cancer. Uh, Marcusen is best known for his 1983 book, National Sunday Law, which has been described as a condensed version of Ellen G. White. The, who's that? She's the one that started the Seventh-day Adventist cult. Okay, It's a condensed version of Ellen G. White's view on the Great Controversy. 7.8 million copies have been distributed in 19 different languages to brainwash the masses. The book gives an interpretation of the prophecies of the biblical books of Daniel and Revelation and focuses particularly on the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. A little piece of advice for you. Don't go to a cult to get interpretation of biblical scripture because they will fail you. And they'll also have their extra-biblical prophecies, which she's famous for, that don't line up with the word of God, which tells me that's all I need to know to know she's a false prophet. That's all I need to know. 
He also solves the blasphemous book, The Great Controversy, written by the founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen White, again. This is this guy, this forerunner. His name is also, uh, his name is Christopher Hudson. The Bible says to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans uh, 16, verse 17 and 18. We're supposed to mark them. Because the church hasn't marked them, is a big reason why the church, particularly in America, is in the state that it's in. Because nobody's been marked. Oh, everybody, no, we have no right to judge. Yes, we're supposed to judge those that are within, according to the verse I just quoted, according to 1 Corinthians 5, where it says we're supposed to judge those that are within. We're supposed to judge righteous judgment, as Jesus said. We're supposed to judge ourselves lest we, lest we be judged, so we judge ourselves first. Okay? And the Bible's real clear on that. The Bible says, he who is spiritual judgeth all things. When you don't judge, it's hypocritical judgment. That's when you don't judge. Like if you have a beam in your own eye, if you look at the parable when Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged, it's when you have a beam in your own eye and you're judging the speck in your brother's. First, you get the beam out of your own eye to see the speck in your brother's. Then it would be okay. Of course, you don't want to do that in a, in a um, if it's if it's your brother. You want to do it in a in a. Um, the Bible says to go such a go to such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. So we want to be careful. But when you have some total reprobate cult like this, you know, this is this is what we're supposed to do. Why? Because it's like these people that are in these cults, or it's like being in a burning house. And if you were in a burning house, wouldn't you want somebody to warn you? This Great Controversy is a book written by Ellen G. White, one of the founders of Seventh-day Adventist Church. It describes uh, a theme between Jesus and Satan as played out over millennia from its start in heaven to its final when the world is destroyed and recreated. Regarding the reason for writing the book, the author reported, quote, In this vision at Lovett's Grove in in 1858, most of the matter of the Great Controversy, which I had seen ten years before, was repeated, and I was shown that I must write it out. Who, who told you that? Satan, or one of his demons, or devils, or a fallen angel? Because God didn't tell you to do that. Why would God have you start a cult to take people to hell? The theme of the original small book was expanded first to the four-volume set of books in 1884, and then to a five-volume set in 1888. The final book in each set was entitled The Great Controversy. Now, I know I need to do a teaching on the Seventh-day Adventists. Um... I have gotten a ton of grief from them and the Hebrew Roots people. They're very much in the same camp. Uh, I can see those facts, those two two cultic camps combining easily because they both have common ground on this whole Sabbath issue. And they, you know, heavily, heavily, heavily. I, I remember I watched this interview, this guy one time. He, and You didn't even know. One thing Seventh-day Adventists are incredibly adept at doing is they don't tell you who they are. I watched this video, and I think it was almost into the second hour, when he finally dropped the Seventh-day Adventist bombshell. Just like this forerunner guy did up on this fourth video. I'm convinced they're trained to do it that way. They've got you all convinced that they're so impressive in regard to their knowledge of Scripture, in regard to their knowledge of the Bible, and then all of a sudden they drop this satanic bombshell that 
everything hinges on the Sabbath versus Sunday. Everything. And it's it's the mark of the beast. If you're worshipping on Sunday, you've, you've, you've taken the mark of the beast. Well, if you take the mark of the beast, that's it. So you're telling me anybody that worships on Sunday, I mean, you know, why would they even say you have a chance of going to heaven then? Why would they even bother? Once you take the mark, it's over. There's no, I don't believe there's any going back from taking the mark. Even though the Bible says that taking the mark of the beast is taking the mark in the right hand and in the forehead. Hmm, that doesn't sound like Sabbath versus Sunday issue. You know? And you won't be able to buy, sell, or trade without it? Well, I, I don't understand how Sabbath versus Sunday relates to being able to buy, sell, or trade. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, that's what they do. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit about Ellen G. White. Um, if these, Seventh-day Adventists, if these folks' only peculiarity was that they met on Saturday to worship, we would have very little to worry about. But they teach that Sunday worship is the mark of the beast. And that Sunday worshipers, they teach, are Satan worshipers. Understand, that's what Seventh-day Adventists feel about you. No matter how nice and cozy, they may try to get to you and, and convince you, and, and even in subtlety, try to convince you into their way of thinking. Please understand that that's what they believe. If they're being true to their faith, they must deny this, but as long as they keep quoting Ellen G. White, they must have the vulgar heresy stuffed right back down their throats until they repent. Mrs. White was a heretic, and she added to scriptures. We're not supposed to add to scriptures, right? What's the, um, you know, there's all these, the Bible says at the end of the Bible in Revelation, if you add, I'll add unto you the plagues that are written in this book. We don't want to add or take away from scripture. A lot of really serious warnings about that in the Bible. Ellen White founded the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and members must vow to believe that she was a prophet. She's a false prophet. From the 27 fundamental beliefs, number 17, the gift of prophecy, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is, uh, is an identifying mark of the remnant church and was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. As the Lord's messenger, her writings are a continuing and authoritative source of truth which provide the church comfort, guidance, instruction, and correction. Well, let's look, let's look at a little bit of, of Ellen G. White just real quick here because I don't want to make this too, too far. Um, uh, let's see here. Okay, so this is one of the most potent blasphemies of Ellen G. White. On page 481 of The Great Controversy, which we just, which is one of the books this guy sells. This is the 1927 edition. Ms. White says, quote, When Christ, by virtue of his own blood, removes the sins of his people from the heavenly sanctuary at the close of his ministration, he will place, upon, he will place them upon Satan, who in execution of judgment must bear the final penality? What does the Bible say? 1 Peter 2.23 Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that when we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. If a Seventh-day Adventist follower believes Ellen G. White in the above statement, they are damned to hell. In other words, that, that our sins are actually placed upon Satan is what the quote she just made in the Great Controversy on page 481. There's 
one thing after another thing after another thing. And then I've got a whole section in here in this particular file I've got. Prophecy blunders of Ellen G. White. Their inspired prop. Now this is true almost with every single cult. Ellen G. White. Um, and again, we, there's one after another, after another, after another for prophecies that have failed. I'm looking here. Oh, boy. Wow. 40, 40 prophecy blunders, and they're all laid out here, and they're all referenced. I'm not even going to get into them. Now, another guy, just so you know, and again, I, I hope to do a study on this, a full study on this, is this Walter Vaith guy who does the total onslaught or amazing discovery videos. You would never know about this guy, that he was a Seventh-day Adventist. You can literally watch his videos and not have any clue he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Nothing. Very, very, very professionally done. These Seventh-day Adventists must have some serious monetary backing, is all I can say, because everything they do is very, very high quality and professional. And they never come out with the the Sabbath versus Sunday issue off the bat. They typically wait until they bait you in and bait you in. Remember, the Bible says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. See, the Seventh-day Adventists will promise you liberty. But see, they themselves are servants of corruption. They're going to promise you liberty, but they're servants of corruption. And then it goes on to say, for of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. If you're watching these videos, and you're really starting to believe these people, you're starting to be overcome. Very, very careful who you set yourself under regarding the ministry that you, that you would listen to and hear. It's very important. I'd be the first to admit that. And um, Walter Vaith, also known as Total Onslaught or Manies and Discoveries, and it's very hard to find out about this guy. I had to really dig... Um, You know, really, really, really dig uh, deep to find anything about him. Anyway, what I did is I provide you some links here. Um, a rebuttal to Walter Vase presentation of the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine of Sabbath. I mean, it, it's with these Hebrew Roots people and with the um, Messianic movement and with the Seventh-day Adventists. The big thing they really, really love to key on is the Sabbath versus Sunday. And I've taken more hate mail over that subject uh, than any other issue I've ever gotten into. Ever. Okay? And I will not back down. They will not sway me into their... I mean, there's just too much facts, biblical and otherwise, to prove that it's a heresy. I have given reams and reams and reams of biblical Bible verses and documentation, but it doesn't matter to them. Because their mind is made up. They're literally blind through the demons that emanate and operate through this cult. The prince of this world has blinded their eyes that they cannot see. Their minds are made up. Don't. And again, what, what is the result? What, what is a, a lot of the source of this pride? I'm a, seven, I'm a Hebrew rootster. I'm better than you. You're going to hell. You've taken the mark of the beast. You know nothing. It's how they think about any other that do not embrace their cultic belief systems. This is what, I mean, I'm not saying every one of them may feel that way, but I'm telling you the ones I've dealt with have. They're the most unreachable sect 
of pseudo-Christianity that I've encountered. They are the most unreachable. Unreachable. They have the most pride of any sect of pseudo-Christianity. Seventh-day Adventists and the Hebrew Roots people in particular. They're, they're almost even worse. And, you know, that's been my experience. You know, that's been my experience. Now, I found, and I did find, exactly different Seventh-day Adventist sites promoting faith. Because uh, it is not up on his, at least when I checked before, it is not up on his website that they're even a Seventh-day Adventist. It's like, you know, if they're so proud of their religion, why don't they proclaim it out there? Why don't they just put it out there? But that's what these cults have to do. They gotta reel you in. They gotta lure you in under the under the cloak of deception, and then once you're under them, you be, you literally they are trying to put a spell on you. And I mean this from a witchcraft standpoint. I mean it from a demonic standpoint. Of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. What type of bondage is that? Is it handcuffs? Literal handcuffs? No, it's spiritual bondage. It's a spell. And so, anyway, um, he is a another Seventh-day Adventist that's hiding behind... Uh, none of these people come out and say... I'll flat out tell you right now, I'm a born-again, Bible-believing Christian in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart him, I, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, I am nothing. Nor do I desire to be anything apart from him. I just try to follow the Bible. Not follow some cult, or some man, or some woman. So anyway, I, I, again, I, do, I know I need to do a teaching on this. Uh, my time right now is more limited than any other time in my life ever with all the stuff that I'm dealing with on on so many different levels and uh, uh, I, I do pray pray for the website as well because we do need to uh, uh, it really needs to be um, updated properly and uh, both myself and my webmaster just swamped it's just uh, very very hard um, right now so I apologize uh, but I'm only one person. I can kind of only do so much there. I think there was one other thing I forgot here. No, I've covered that. And then, let's see here. Oh, this is a a little video clip I'm going to play you. And it's called Look What's Missing for Pastors Only. That's how it's entitled. But you can listen in. And I'm sure they, they did that theme for a reason to get you interested. Um, this is entitled to pastors. Do you really think people will take your preaching seriously if you're doing this? And this little book is available from Chick.com Publishing. I'm going to go ahead and just play this now. Hi, I'm David Daniels, author of the book, Look What's Missing. And I have a message for pastors. But first, let me start by telling a short story. There once was a great and powerful king. This king had a right-hand man. One day, the king said to him, My friend, you've been at my side these many years. You've fought at my side. We've achieved many victories, and now these twenty years, I have ruled and reigned and amassed a great deal of wealth. I've kept it in a big vault, impenetrable except by this one key. Now I must go to war. If I'm not back in five years' time, I want you to take this key Open that vault 
You will become ruler of this kingdom and the wealthiest man in all the empire. I have trusted you with my life. I now trust you with this key. Guard it well. Farewell. The king hadn't been gone half an hour before he heard a loud galloping behind him. Wait! Wait! He gave me the wrong key! Pastors, you are the key. God wants you to unlock his riches for his people. God has entrusted you to bring his holy words to your people. Those words unlock God's truth and give his directions for a godly life. What you do with his words will affect not only you, but all the people who are under your care. You may not think so sometimes, but people pay close attention to what you say and do when you preach. Do you read to your congregation out of multiple Bibles? If you do, this could happen. Your congregation is reading out of their Bible, and you're reading out of yours, and you come to a favorite verse and you say, Well, actually, I like the way this Bible says it. And then when I come to this verse, I like the way this Bible says it. And then when I come to this verse, I like the way this Bible says it. And you may not know it, but they're setting down their Bible and listening to you. You've just set yourself up to be their priest. Do you really want your congregation grabbing multiple Bibles every time they come to a verse? Do you want that 3 a.m. call? Pastor, I'm reading from Ephesians 2. Which Bible should I use? Remember, anything that gets between you and God is your priest. Do you really want to be a priest for your congregation? Do you read from the King James Bible? If you do, but don't tell your congregation why, this could happen. Say you're preaching from the King James Bible. Most likely, your congregation will be reading from one of the popular, critical Bibles. And they're not going to find important words, phrases, and verses that you're preaching on. Instead, they're going to find a note saying those words don't belong. And Okay, let me define something a little bit further. These critical Bibles is in reference to are more the uh, modern-day translations. And again, the vast majority spawned from the revised version of 1881 translated by two occultists, Westcott and Hort, who translated that from two corrupt Catholic manuscripts that ultimately had their origin in Egypt, called the, the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus. They contradicted each other in so many places that whenever they contradicted, the rule that they adopted was just to use the Vaticanus. Okay? So, almost all the modern Bible versions that we have today spawn from the 1881 revised version and are from a corrupted stream of Bibles. The King James is in a totally different line that came up a totally different way. So, when he says these other Bibles, that's what he's in reference to. They're going to have to choose. Do they believe their Bible or yours? Can you see how this produces confusion? Will they really take serious... God is not the author of confusion, so... This is something to think about. Obviously, what you're preaching... Are they not sure which words are God's words? If you've ever wondered why people listen to your preaching, but they keep doing what they're doing and their lives don't begin to change, maybe it's because they're not sure God said what you are preaching. If you want to build faith, if you want them to grow in holiness, 
If you want to be a shepherd who leads his flock to the Lord, then you need to address this issue. You need to find out for yourself which words are God's words and why. And tell your congregation which words are God's words and why. When they understand what God really said, then watch them grow. I've actually seen this change happen time and again. Whenever a believer became sure what he or she was reading were God's words. History makes it clear which words are God's words, preserved by his faithful followers. In English, they're the King James Bible. The same words in English that the early church had in Greek and Hebrew. People in your congregation are going to be reading a book I wrote called Look What's Missing. In it, they're going to come face to face with words, phrases, even whole verses that are missing from their Bibles. And if they hear you preaching from one of those Bibles, they're going to ask themselves, Doesn't he know which words are God's words? Pastors, if your Bible is missing anything, please get a new one. But again, that new one is the King James Bible. So this is something that I thought he brought up some good points there. He's got that book. Um, You can go up to chick.com and uh, uh, you can uh, key in, um, I guess... His last name is Daniels. Yeah, David Daniels. And um, there's a whole reference section up on chick.com. You can also go up to YouTube to key in the teaching that I did on the King James. All you have to do is go up to YouTube, Scott Johnson, and then KJV, and you'll find it. Uh, Several teachings I've done on the subject. And you can listen to those all up there. And uh, they're on the website at continuefortruth.com in the archive section, but it's not a searchable archive at this point. And since there's over 380-some teachings, it can be somewhat tedious going trying to go through there and find the teachings you're looking for. But they are up there. The new teachings are, are in the uh, teaching audio section, um, but the archives are... Um, there's a link off that initial page under teaching audio that you can go to and, and key in and find them. Um, anyway, that's all we have for today. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and this time you've given us, Lord. Lord, we praise you for your goodness and your mercy that you've given us, bestowed upon us. Thank you, Lord God, most of all for our salvation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's anyone here that is not saved, I pray, Lord God, you save their soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood, that you would guide them, Lord, um, and direct them, that any of our unsafe family members, Lord, that your fear would be upon them, that your goodness be upon them, Lord God, that that would drive them to repentance, to get saved, Lord. We just pray, Lord, for your intervention in their lives. We thank you. I pray you'd forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form that you would forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us, Lord, that your name would be glorified through wherever your word is being preached, your truth is being taught, and that many would be saved as a result. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.